1: Cocktail followed by oyster liqueurs. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 30th of October 2016. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au and a forward slash radio blue if you're wanting to specifically tune into out of the blue. You'll also find a number of previously broadcast episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook, and today's weather is pretty hairy to say the least um, in the fine city of Melbourne. 26 degrees is the top temperature, which sounds pretty good, and it is, but the massive cold front that's pushing through later in the day. Probably towards the afternoon and evening um, is going to make conditions pretty unfavourable for getting out on uh, Port Phillip or Western Port Bays. In fact, right across the Victorian coastline, um, winds are forecast to hit somewhere between 80 kilometres an hour, gusting up to 100 plus. Um, 80 kilometres an hour is the forecast for Melbourne Airport. So, if you want to see someone earn their money, get out the front of the airport and watch the uh, the planes coming in. Uh, The the boys and girls flying those things are going to be earning their pay today. I'll tell you what. Anyway, uh, be very careful. As usual, if you're anywhere near the water today, a really good idea probably not to be near the water. Yesterday was a gorgeous day. It's going to be a bit different today. Uh, Hail, thunder, flash flooding, the whole box and dice is forecast. So please be super careful wherever you are uh, today. Okay, today's show I want to discuss a little bit about hydrocarbon pollution in the aquatic environment, namely oil spills. And... uh, that was sort of highlighted by erin uh, and heather in last week's show which i just want to touch on there was a very interesting development that they spoke on that i just want to expand on a little bit so uh, more of that after the break and here's a brief community announcement
0: Ladies and gentlemen this panel is now on air in july 1976 from an old warehouse in high street armadale 3cr community radio hit the airwaves heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio.
1: This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR.
0: As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
2: We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's
1: why it's important for us to be at the 10
0: Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the East-West Tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing.
1: I was born here, I will die here. I am not moving.
0: So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying
1: Happy "Happy Birthday 3CR! You are listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. Okay, today I wanted to uh, discuss some uh, some more about hydrocarbon pollution and oil spills, and Heather and Erin brought up um, in their show last week, and I'm, i i uh, I hope that a lot of people out there heard their show. It was uh, very, very interesting and very entertaining. It was part two of their uh, their their special on basically sex in the underworld, in the undersea environment. And uh, yeah, I don't smoke, um, but I needed a cigarette after that one and a cold shower. It uh, was some uh, very saucy stuff that they got through on the airwaves. But one of the things that they managed to um, cover was the development that BP, uh, British Petroleum, had pulled out of the Great Australian Bite. They were looking very, very seriously at getting some work done, uh, exploring uh, offshore drilling rigs and that sort of thing. And there was some real concern amongst uh, environmentalists and conservationists and so on that, uh, the, you know, the last thing that they wanted in the Great Australian Bite was the company that were uh, directly responsible, it's got to be said, and that's on the public record for the Deepwater Horizon disaster that unfolded in the Gulf of Mexico um, back in 2011. Now, uh, my uh, impetus for wanting to do this show um, came from partly that, uh, that news that was breaking, that They'd actually pulled out of the Great Australian Bite, and the fact that Joe Public breathed a big sigh of relief. Um, just in a, in a little bit, I'll touch on uh, the Deepwater Horizon, the movie that's just hit the, the cinemas. Um, I'll, I'll have a quick uh, nutshell review of that one uh, that one for you. But basically, I think uh, with the BP's announcement that they were pulling out of the Great Australian Bite, I think that was kind of um, relief from Joe Public on two counts. Um, the first one was that, as I mentioned, um, the company that was responsible for Deepwater Horizon. And was no longer going to be involved in having a look at oil exploration, but more the long-term issue too. I think that when you've got a situation where there's so much fossil fuels being dragged out of the seabed, um, you know whether we're looking at crude oil or gas reserves and this sort of thing, surely it's about time we started having a look at alternative uh, alternatives, um, renewable energies and that sort of thing. And you just get the feeling today that the the research and development into these areas is probably not going along as uh, as quickly as it should. And And we've got a situation now where it probably just tends to uh, stagnate a bit. And we've seen various governments in Australia recently that probably haven't paid as much attention to it as they should. We've got continued uh, investment in things like, uh, you know, fossil fuels, the oil, coal, all these sorts of things. We're probably not investigating the algae and solar and wind and all those sorts of things that we probably could. So I think that's more the long-term view. But uh, the last thing we wanted was a situation where we had a massive oil well blowout in the Great Australian Bite, because as we know, the uh, the the effects on uh, on marine life are pretty catastrophic when we start talking about oil spills. And that's one thing I wanted to cover in a bit of detail today. Um, some of you might be interested to hear that it's not all doom and gloom when it comes to oil spills in the in the aquatic environment. And I'll just touch on that a little bit later. Later on, and go into some detail. I'm not advocating for oil spills there by any stretch of the imagination, but it uh, it is something to bear in mind okay uh, as I mentioned before I was uh, I went along to the movies um, went along to the uh, the cinemas and had a look at Deepwater horizon uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was very very impressed with the movie I've got to say when you're uh, you know watching things on tally um, it is what it is but when you're when you're in that environment of the cinema it really brings home the uh, I guess the stress and the tension of a situation like that your whole world becomes the uh, becomes the movie in a sense that dominates your uh, your consciousness and you you're watching this movie mark Wahlberg starred in the movie, and he was actually one of the executive producers, so Good on him for getting the. Uh, you, you clearly got the the feeling from watching this movie that he believed that this was a uh, you know no doubt a very very stressful story for all concerned, but one that needed to be told. So I uh, I fully commend him for that in this uh, in this humble reviewer's opinion. But the movie for those of you that haven't seen it centers on the situation that occurred at the Macondo well, um, the uh, the Deepwater Horizon platform that was actually actually a submersible platform. It was a semi submersible platform. It wasn't anchored to the seafloor like you find with conventional drilling rigs. It was an exploratory drilling rig. So what they did was they set up a system where they've got a 5,000 tonne concrete block sitting on the bottom uh, to cut a long story short. They put the drilling bit through and they sample for the oil and so on. And uh, the, the the story, not to spoil the plot line too much, but the story centers around Mark Wahlberg's character, who's a, a real life figure, who's heading out to the drilling rig and having a look at it and uh, seeing the, uh, the crew that are supposed to be carrying out the pressure and safety testing uh, um, basically jumping in a boat and saying our work is done. See you later. And he basically tracks it back um, with the, uh, the the help of a character played by Kurt Russell to find out. Well, hang on. Why is this? Why is this crew going off the uh, off site now when they're supposed to have been carrying out the testing? Sure enough, they find out that the tests weren't done. And the story goes from there. And uh, as I was saying, the the environment in the cinema. I got halfway through the uh, the movie and I was thinking, why do I put myself through this stuff? You know, you what you, you go to your week of work, you your your out as it is to an extent, and then you come home and what do you do for your leisure time? You watch a, a movie like Deepwater Horizon. That said, the big picture is that stories like that, um, and we know that from 3CR Community Radio, they need to be told. And it was pretty uh, a pretty incredible movie. I would highly recommend getting along and seeing it and you know, uh, sparing a few bob to go and check it out at the movies if you can, because that really brings home the uh, the situation where you get these massive pressures building up, things aren't going the way they should, plan A goes into action, plan B goes into action, nothing's working, and then B Bang, up she goes. Okay, so the, uh, the blowout preventer was the, uh, is, is what the movie centres around. Of course, 11 people were killed in that disaster, which sometimes gets glossed over because we obviously regard the environmental impact as the key thing which in many ways it was, but don't forget there were 11 people killed. Only fairly recently it was decided that the executives that were in charge of that drilling rig were not um, uh, going to be held responsible for uh, manslaughter. Uh, so that, that decision came through fairly recently. Of course, the damage to Louisiana and the other uh, Gulf of Mexico states, such as Alabama and these sorts of areas, was absolutely massive. And to put it in context with what happened, uh, the Deepwater Horizon spill was estimated to be something in the order of about 822 million litres. So to put that in context, the Exxon Valdez spill, which is uh, easily regarded as one of the most damaging in history, was only relatively small. And when I say relatively small, it barely makes the, I don't think it even makes the top 50 um, in terms of uh, sheer quantity of oil spilled. 42 million litres was what poured out of the Exxon Valdez when it ran aground in Prince William Sound in Alaska back on the 24th of March 1989 at uh, four minutes past midnight when this uh, this massive uh, ship, 250,000 tonnes displayed Total or thereabouts slammed into Bly Reef and uh, ripped herself open. Um, The captain at the time, Joseph Hazelwood, was found to be uh, negligent in the way that he uh, went about his operations. He wasn't uh, present on the bridge when they were trying to navigate some pretty treacherous waters. There'd been the suggestion that he was effectively drink driving, which is just uh, absolutely incredible and the, uh, the, the disaster unfolded. It's interesting when you look at the top 10 uh, largest oil spills of all time, um, the uh, Deepwater Horizon was, uh, was about the worst, well, the worst accidental anyway. The worst, but not the first. Um, it's worth remembering that way back in 1979, um, from the 3rd of June of that year, right until the 23rd of March, 1980, so you're, you're talking about nine months or thereabouts, the uh, Ishtok 1 oil well in the Gulf of Campuchia in uh, Mexico, so that's the Gulf of the the Mexican side of the Gulf of Mexico if you like uh, suffered a massive oil well blowout and at the worst uh, at at the uh, height of that blowout you had about 30,000 barrels of oil gushing to the surface every day now admittedly there was a fire so some of that was being converted into atmospheric pollution there was a fair quantity of oil that was being burned off immediately but of course when you're looking at 30,000 barrels um, not all of it's going to burn off. What they ended up doing was pretty similar to what ended up happening with Deepwater Horizon. They tried to cap the well by Using a variety of methods, there was at one stage a giant steel cone that they um, put over the top of the thing to try and snuff it out. There were uh, all sorts of junk that they tried to basically stuff into the uh, into the wellhead to try and uh, to try and quell it. They were partially successful. They got it down from 20,000 to 10. Uh, I think they ended up getting it all the way down to 20,000 barrels a day, then down to about 10,000, and then they finally snuffed her out. Um, and also looked at drilling uh, relief wells um, to, to counter that situation. So, I guess. Yes, the disappointing thing with Deepwater Horizon, in in many ways um, that the technology had advanced in there uh, since the 1979 of course but've we've, we've been here before um, when companies start cutting corners with regards to things like blowout preventers and and these sorts of systems and structures and I've got to say I'm not any uh, any authority on this area but it's it's clean it's clear to see it's on the public record that uh, that disasters occur when people try to cut uh, cut corners with safety and with uh, with systems probably one of the most sobering things, uh, just to having a, a bit of a ref- refresher last night for my, uh, for my show this morning, was that if you look at the top 10 uh, largest oil spills in history, uh, four out of those top 10 uh, have been essentially due to conflict. In other words, there have been uh, war type situations and the conflicts have led to situations where there's either been deliberate sabotage um, on, the, uh, on, on the structures that have caused these monstrous amounts of oil to gush into the air or into the environment. And if you look at the, uh, the, the classic example, I suppose going back a bit now, when we had the uh, first Iran-Iraq war, um, which uh, raged, I think that kicked off in about 1980 and went through it until uh, 1988. But at the height of that, back in 1983, there was an attack on the Nowruz platform, which is on the Iranian side of the Persian Gulf. And um, they had a situation where a tanker clunked into one of the platforms. That got a spill started. And then uh, just to seal the deal, a bunch of Iraqi helicopters went in and bombed the platform. And uh, that ended up causing this monstrous spill, huge fires, all that sort of thing uh, to, to go on. Fast forward to 1991 with the uh, the, the Gulf War um, between coalition forces um, and Iraq, essentially, and what we had there was the deliberate uh, gushing of oil right into the Persian Gulf, and I still remember as a uh, as a kid, I was only a young man at that time, about 14 years old, seeing the um, the American response to that one where they loaded up what were called Maverick, I think, air-to-ground missiles with the, the TV-guided uh, Seeker head, and they showed the uh, the platform being bombed, and you, you you got the missile eye view if you like of this m- missile homing in on the on the pumping station and and, and blowing it apart, which uh, stopped a, a good quantity of the oil, a good quantity of the oil gushing into the Persian Gulf. Um, likewise, of course, Saddam's forces went through and lit up all the um, all the oil wells, um, the 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 uh, oil well heads, burned all those, and you get like monstrous atmospheric pollution. And I was interested uh, a little while ago. I was conducting a lecture for. Uh, part of the requirements for uh, environmental chemistry and biochemistry, which is a, a subject that we cover in the um, Bachelor of Agriculture and Technology program at Melbourne Polytechnic, uh, namely the aquaculture and environmental um, management type major that we offer. And uh, one of my students, actually, I was talking about the, the oil well fires in uh, in burning throughout Kuwait, and uh, Ahmed um, Ahmed Judy is one of the students. And he was actually, uh, far be it from me commenting like I am today from an outsider's point of view, you. He was there. He was there in Baghdad, actually, when the uh, when the oil well fires kicked off, and he said it was just incredible, depending on which way the wind was blowing, of course. Sometimes you'd get your typical sort of Iraqi day where it's brilliant sunshine and quite warm, and then all of a sudden the, the, the wind had changed direction, and day would turn into night in a heartbeat, and you'd get all this thick, black, choking smoke blowing in from the oil well fires. So really, really sobering uh, listen, listening to uh, Ahmed uh, talk about that. Anyway, we might uh, break it up a little bit here. Uh, at uh, out of the blue, we've all got a bit of an obsession with um, with the the sea and the marine environment, and it's a it's a terrible time when you do hear about all these uh, whether it be oil well fires or oil well blowouts or tanker accidents and all this sort of thing. It really uh, tugs at the heartstrings. But you know, um, all is not lost. I don't want to sound too uh, too much doom and gloom on a Sunday for you, but um, yeah, it's uh, one of those situations where we love our marine environment, and we've got a bit of an obsession with it so uh, to that end here's a bit of uh, here's a bit of ice house with my obsession Okay, um, one thing worth mentioning you're uh, back firstly uh, listening to 3cr community radio 855 on your am dial this is out of the blue just wanted to get a a quick message on uh, donations
0: want to keep your radio radical Well, it's not too late to donate to 3CR's 40th Birthday Radiothon and we still need your support. Call 9419 8377 or visit our website at 3cr.org.au. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy during our office hours to pay by cash, cheque or FPOS, Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. 3CR, 40 years of radical radio.
1: Every little bit helps people. Uh, if you can spare some uh, some change or some money for the uh, for for our uh, radio station, uh, please uh, please chip in. Okay, just back to what I was saying about uh, just back to what I was mentioning before about oil spills and sort of alluding that uh, you know th- not all is lost when you do have a bit of a spill of oil. Remember, with crude oil, um, what you can find from time to time, and I know for a fact there's a spot off uh, I think it's in the Gulf of California somewhere. Um, remember, California, you've got the San Andreas. Fault line amongst a whole lot of other um, seismic activity in that region. What you find with the shifting of plates from time to time is there are these great big cracks and fissures in the seabed that do let a little bit of crude oil escape from time to time. Now they're nowhere near the massive blowouts that you find with like a deep water horizon type, uh, which is essentially obviously a man made scenario. But uh, what you do find is crude oil being emitted into the water, you get whales swimming through it, Um, you get uh, sea life coming into contact with it, not always with a happy ending, Um, but they do manage to. Exist uh, in that in that environment uh, with that oil coming through. Of course, when you get the monstrous uh, loadings of oil in the one area, this really what you'd call an acute and discharge event. Um, a totally changes the game. We're not talking about minor leakages here and there. We're talking about a massive dumping of oil in the one region. Hence why the Exxon Valdez oil spill in 1989 with its heavy Alaskan uh, Prudhoe Bay um, crude oil um, made matters very, very difficult. If you're looking at some of the lighter Arabian fractions, for example, uh, there is potential for it to be not quite as damaging as if you've got the great big heavy crude oils. The other thing to remember, too, is that if we're looking at refined products, that sometimes uh, causes a bit of a problem. If we're looking at refined products, then what you can actually find is, uh, and I'm talking about the diesel and the kerosene. These things can actually be pretty damn toxic. So that's uh, that's something that you do have to uh, to bear in mind a little bit when you're looking at the toxicity of uh, of oil to the to the surrounding environment. I will say too that when you're looking at crude oil, you've got a whole bunch of chemicals, uh, and they refer to them by the acronym BTEX. Now that's what we call benzene, toluene, ethylbenzene, and xylene. Uh, these are a, a family of um, a family of products known as monocyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. And then you've also got another another range of chemicals called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Without going into the chemistry too much, these compounds have very high vapour pressures. So when they do get spilled, um, the, most of those fractions volatilize off to the environment within about the first 40, 48, definitely the first 72 hours. And then you're left with a situation where you've got all that gunk that basically needs to be cleaned up. Um, so it becomes primarily um, uh, much more of an aesthetic issue in that way, rather than looking at the, uh, the toxicant side of it, um, the, the toxicity side of it. The thing you've got to remember too, though, is that when you do have all that oil sludge in the water, um, how does it kill wildlife? Well, smothering on the one hand, and also ingestion, these things uh, taking it in and uh, gobbling, this, uh, gobbling this oil up. And, of course, seabirds do tend to be particularly sensitive. Once they do get smothered, they tend to look lose that waterproof coating in their feathers, they're unable to forage properly or perform other activities effectively, they lose their buoyancy. The plumage of a seabird often, um, you can think of it functioning like a wetsuit, only air gets trapped instead of water. And once they lose that, um, they're in a world of hurt. Uh, hypothermia can set in and it can kill an enormous number of, uh, of seabirds. So things like dead fish, turtles, marine mammals, they're the most powerful images from a large oil spill and of course they're, uh, like I said before, they really tug at the heartstrings. They've been one of the most, um, one of the most unsightly and one of the most uh, you know, uh, terrible forms of, uh, of marine pollution that, we, uh, that we're likely to come across. Um, The other thing too, though, is that effects on plankton should uh, certainly not be overlooked. That can cause major, major heartache. uh, Once you start tampering with the bottom of the food chain, the very base of the food pyramid, uh, that can potentially be a major issue as well. All right, well, that's about all we've got time for uh, this week on Out of the Blue. Uh, Stay tuned for Out of the Pan with Super Sally, leaping massive issues in a single bound, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.
0: I'm not gonna be